Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 700 for the 8th of Cheshvan in a regular year. So the world is a very confusing place, right? I think we can all agree on that. We've spoken about this already previously, about the topsy-turvy nature of the world, how uh, wicked people thrive in this world and righteous people suffer. I mean, not always, thank God, but often we see that that's the case. We see that the, the popular morals in the world are not necessarily Torah values. Um, we see that, yeah, like people that don't necessarily, aren't necessarily the most moral people sometimes get ahead and sometimes really do um, succeed where people who really try their hardest and are very sincere, uh, good individuals don't necessarily get ahead and go through a lot of suffering. And this is very unfortunate, right? And indeed, this is not the ultimate intent that God had for reality. This isn't ultimately what God wants for the worlds that we live in. And there's there's one word that encapsulates this state of being that we live in right now, and that world is exile. In other words, galus. So we are all living collectively in this state of exile. The Jewish people are exiled. So even though, yes, technically we have the state of Israel, uh, we still don't have the base of Megdash. We still don't have our temple rebuilt. So we're still technically in this exiled state in terms of our nationhood. Um, the world as a whole is in a state of exile just in terms of this whole topsy-turvy state of affairs as we talked about it. And on an individual level, each one of us is living in this very exiled state. Okay, so we've established we're living in a very confusing world. Our world is one big mess. What do you do when you have a big mess on a physical level? Let's say you, you like me, sometimes your closet gets uh, to be really overloaded and you, it's a big mess. You can't find what you're looking for or your, how, your home just becomes messy. Your kitchen becomes messy. What do you do? How do you turn the mess into not a mess? You sort through it, right? So in terms of a closet, let's say you want to organize a closet, um, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to go into that closet and you're going to have to start examining what's inside the closet. And sometimes actually you have to make a bigger mess because sometimes you have to take everything out of that closet and like resort through the whole thing. And through that, you can start sorting through item by item, sifting through everything. Do I want this? Do I not want this? Where does this go? Where does this go? And through that, that's the way that you can eventually sort through your closet and come to a cleaner closet, come to having an, a nice organized closet. So how do we apply this to our world? How do we sort through the mess of our world? How do we do this? So interestingly, in today's Tanya, we're actually going to learn the method to sort through the world. And we're going to see that God actually gave us as the Jewish people, a tool, a technique, a gift, you can say, to, to, uh, to sort through the confusion of the world, the remedy for this confusing world, and the remedy to really 
extracts the world from the state of exile and into a place of redemption. So what is this gift? What is the tool? So the tool is, believe it or not, the study of Torah, specifically the study of Talmudic law which we've been discussing in the past few episodes. So at first glance, that might be like, what? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And how is studying Talmudic law a way of sorting through the confusion of the world and and cleaning up the world in that way? Well, one way to kind of think about this is like, think about the last time you had an argument with a loved one. And we're going to assume for the sake of the discussion that that even if the argument got really messy at, at some point, it ultimately ended well. Think about what happened there. So think about how the argument started, how maybe there was some kind of misunderstanding between you and your friend or your relative or something like that. And think about the feelings that came up and the messiness that resulted. And maybe you guys were like really angry at one another for a while and really hurt and frustrated and all of that. And maybe you got into like a really big fight, really big argument. Maybe it was a small argument. I don't know, but some kind of back and forth argument. But then eventually what happens at the end, there was a resolution right? And so what happened through the argumentative process is you actually brought to surface a bunch of different things. Maybe, maybe that little argument that you had actually brought out a lot of like really deep seated resentment of something that was going on for a while and really needed to be addressed. So, so having the argument, even though it's not pleasant, it wasn't a pleasant thing to do. Sometimes it's necessary. So even though we've spoken about definitely pretty recently in the, the podcast, how anger is not, is never really a good idea or pretty much usually is not a good idea. It's not a good reaction to have. Nevertheless, there are times when it's necessary to argue, when it's necessary to resolve something, if there's some kind of conflict, we don't getting into conflict doesn't necessarily you mean that you need to be angry, but sometimes you do need to confront a situation and, and resolve the conflict. And while the conflict itself might not be pleasant, sometimes, and usually that's the case, the conflict itself brings out, it sorts through what's really going on and you can sift through everything and clarify everything so that eventually at the end of that argument with your friend or with your relative or whatever it is, you can come to this really nice resolution where you come to understand one another better, where you come to have a deeper appreciation for one another, hopefully, if you're dealing with an, um, two emotionally mature people. And ultimately, this can lead to a deeper connection, a deeper sense of love and appreciation for the other person. So that's really how it works when it comes to the study of the Gemara, when it comes to the study of the Mishnah, when it comes to the study of Jewish law. That is the point. That's why. Now we can understand why it is that the study of Jewish law, that when you go into a yeshiva, you see this like arguments back and forth. It's a very heated thing, the study of Torah. And you study the Gemara. It's this rabbi says this, but then this rabbi contradicts him and says this part and this one says this. So we had a whole other episode where we talked about how the, the arguments that the rabbis are having is not, are not a reflection that like some people um, mistakenly assume that the, that the oral Torah was generated by man was written by by uh rabbis so i had a whole different episode which i entitled something along the lines of isn't it just a bunch of rabbis who disagree with one another or something like that so that's a lot of people think that a lot of people think that the gemara is just written by man it's not divine in nature and the proof of that is because there are all of those disagreements so we dealt with that in a previous episode where we talked about how that's not the case and the proof that that's not the case is that even though there yes there's they're all it's filled with arguments the things they're arguing about though are all there are a lot there are all 
common ground things. So it's like, well, there might be an argument about like when to bring in Shabbos, you know, should we bring in Shabbos right at sunset? Should we bring in Shabbos at, uh, at dusk? Should we bring in Shabbos at nightfall, 18 minutes before s- sunset? What is 18 minutes? What are, what's a minute? <laughs> All those kind of things. You, you won't find a rabbi who outlet, outright says, no, we don't bring in Shabbos at all. I don't, what is the Shabbos thing? I don't agree with it. Ever, there's a consensus about Shabbos. The discussion, the arguments is just about the details, which really points to the fact that there is one common grounds that they're all discussing, some, something divine in nature that every that there's a consensus about. But that was a previous episode that we that we talked about. Today, we're really focusing on the arguments themselves, why it, why it was structured, why it is structured in such an argumentative way, in such a debate format. Because if you think about it, you know, if, if we, are assuming that the oral law is just as divine as the written law why does it have to be written so complexly like why couldn't we have it that it was just like a simple you know book maybe a few books few volumes doesn't have to be too long of like this is when you take in the shabbos this is when the holidays come in this is what you do this is what you don't do a list like that very succinct very exact why does it have to be this whole like back and forth debate process so the answer to this is in this very topic of sorting through the confusion of the world. That Torah, because Torah is ultimately divine in nature, yes, even the oral law, very much so the oral law. So when we study Torah, we're tapping into the divinity of the world, which is the ultimate source, the ultimate underlying reality of the world. And through these debates, through these discussions, what happens is there's this clarification of Jewish law, and that clarification of Jewish law creates this effect that ultimately liberates the Torah out of its entrapments from the exile down here, because the Torah itself, as we'll learn, never actually falls into exile. It only, not essentially, not the way that the the world falls into a state of exile the torah itself remains pristine and divine and liberated but it does come into trappings into garments of exile but through the sorting through process through the debates of the talmud it actually gets sorted through and it actually thus is able to be liberated out from these exiled garments and through this process of of having the torah be liberated this creates an effect of redeeming the entire world which is ultimately the reason why we're here and ultimately are the purpose of our existence. So let's get into the text and see how the Ultra Rebbe explains all of this. So it's a really, really fascinating section that we're going to be learning today that is, it's really very, it's one of those episodes that's like really essential to understanding our purpose in the world and can give such a deeper appreciation for the next time you engage in the study of Jewish law or the next time you attend a shear or listen to a shear or learn something about how this there's this rabbi that has this opinion, then there's another rabbi that has this opinion and they disagree and blah, 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 and all that stuff. Instead of now thinking of it in terms of like just these like kind of like simple disagreements and it's just like these rabbis that were confused. In fact, it's not that at all. In fact, what's happening there is a very divine process of sifting through, of sorting through, just like if you were to walk into a room and you were to see a room that is looks really chaotic, but then you take another glance at it and you see that there's a person there sifting through things and they're actually organizing their closet. That's what's going on. So they're actually not making a mess. They're actually sorting through a mess in order to create a sense of order. So with that being said, let's get right into the text. And again, for context, we're still in the middle of Epistle 26 of Igeras HaKodesh. And uh, we've been discussing this whole idea about how it is that 
all of Torah is sourced in Malchus of Atzillus. And yesterday we were discussing how while all of Torah is indeed sourced in Malchus of Atzillus, nevertheless different parts of the Torah, different aspects of the Torah, different levels of the Torah become vested within different realms. And we went through kind of a progressive, like, you know, what happens when Malchus of Atzillus gets vested in the world of Bria? What happens when Malchus of Atzillus gets vested within the world of Yitzira? And what about Asiya? Now, today, the Ultra Rebbe goes on with this, and, and now he brings up this idea of what, what happens when Malchus of Atzillus becomes vested within Klipas Noga, within the, the uh, luminous husks, right, that, are, that conceal godliness down here. And the reason why that happens, why is it that the, the Malchus of Atzillus becomes vested in the Klipas Noga? This is in order to clarify and to refine the sparks that fell from the sin of first man and also from the 288 sparks that fell from the breaking of the vessels then the then what happens is that this Malchus of Atzillus is also called by the name of Etadas Tovera the tree of knowledge of good and evil in comparison to the Zer Anpin in Atzillus which does not fall down and is thus referred to as the Etzchaim the tree of light uh, the tree of life. Okay, so let's pause for a second and kind of review that because I know it's a lot and kind of makes sense of what the ultra orbit just said here. So for a little bit of background, some of you may have heard of this idea of the shattering of the vessels. So uh, just to explain what the shattering of the vessels is. So in in brief, in really brief, so we know that the, the building blocks for the entire world, kind of like the way that God manifests his energy into the world we've spoken about. Now, each one of the 10 spheres ultimately manifests God in a full sense. But each one, each sphere in its pristine state manifests God in such a pristine way, in such a, a full way that there's no room for anything else to exist other than it. So when you look at, so, and this is like a very strange paradox where you can have 10 spheres that each one of them manifests God purely and ultimately and completely, but yet they all contradict one another. So this was the original state of affairs. This is what was known as the world of Tohu, the world of chaos, that you had these 10 spheros all existing in the same space, but yet they all were so different and they all manifested God fully and completely. And they couldn't coexist because they, they, were, they were just, each one was too perfect. Like think about a room with like, you know, a bunch of CEOs of many different companies. That's not even the best example because it's, it's even in that case, some people might have some pros, some cons or whatever, but it's like this room, you know, that too many cooks spoil the broth kind of thing. It's just like chaos, right? And so what happened was it was literal chaos and these spheros um, bumped into one another, so to speak, kind of spiritually speaking, and there was a shattering of, of the spheros. And what shattered is that this turned into what was known as the world of tikkun, the world of order, in which no longer are the spheros manifest in their pristine ultimate state, but they exist in a way of compromise. They sort of, they're there, but they're kind of holding themselves out back a little bit in order for, there to, for other things to coexist. And this is what was necessary in order for the world to be created. But it was a very big compromise, and there's a lot more to be said about it. There's a lot more that was going on but that's sort of like just a very superficial understanding of the shattering of the vessels and and what happened and as a result of this shattering as a result of this compromise that happened the sparks from these spheros fell down into our world and became hidden in the different things in the world and 
our job here in this world is to be able to sort through the things in the world to be able to extract these sparks out of creation. What kind, The image that comes to mind for me for this, Lahavdil, is the idea of Bitcoin mining, if anybody's familiar with that. I'm not like an expert in it or anything like that, but my understanding of Bitcoin mining is that there are, in total, there are exactly 21 million Bitcoins in existence in the entire world. However, only a few of them have been, have been mined so far. I think like 12 million have been mined so far. And the process of mining Bitcoins and the reason why, like they don't, they're not all in existence, all like they're not all revealed all at once is because then it's like Bitcoin wouldn't have its value. The value of Bitcoin is in so far as the fact that they're not all manifest all at the same time and people have to work in order to get them. So that's what gives them their value. And the process of mining Bitcoin is a very, um, energy intensive process where these computers go and uh, and work on solving these complex mathematical equations in order to ultimately um, reveal and uncover the Bitcoin that's there. So maybe it's a little bit too abstract for this sake, but that's sort of what comes to mind for me with this is that there's like these sparks of godliness that are found throughout our reality. And our job is to sift and sort through the reality of the world in order to extract the ultimate sparks that are that fell in the shattering the vessels and bring them back to their source. That's that's one of the things that happened that created the mess that we live in. The second thing that happened was the if it, if after the shattering the initial shattering of the vessels, there was the sin of the first man and the first woman, and that created even more confusion, even more uh, just chaos in the world because the first sin that happens with the you know with the with the in the Garden of Eden and um, and eating from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, all of that, what that did before that time, yes, there was a big mess. Yes, there was still this like state of confusion and the shattering of the vessels because there was good and bad and that all had to be sorted through. But what Ad- Adam did and Chava did is they created a state of confusion, even more so where there was a state of gray, where now it's not even clear what good and bad is anymore. So there's a lot of confusion that has ha- that has happened in the, that is presence in the world today that we live in. That's the basic point. And so the point is that going back to our text is that when we're talking about this Malchus of Atsilis, even though Malchus of Atsilis is ultimately godliness, like Malchus of Atsilis, it's in the Atsilis, which is the highest of all the worlds. It's, we still ref- call it it's Hadas Tovara, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil in comparison to the Zer Anpin that's found in Atsilis because the Zer Anpin that's found in Atsilis did not fall down in the same way. There's something, the Zer Anpin of Atsilis, which is the, the, the written Torah, like the actual written Torah, the scripture, didn't descend in the same way as the, um, as the, as the oral Torah did, at least not essentially, which is why it's called the Etchaim, the, the tree of life. Even though, as we did mention, that it did it, it did become manifest here in the world of Asiya, which is the lowest of all the worlds. But I guess just in terms of like being vested in the same way, like the, the oral law got vested, only the oral law really got vested in, in this more practical way in the lower worlds. Which is why, going back to uh, earlier discussions that we've had, there's a, there's a, even though ultimately the oral law is part of the Eitzchayim, part of the tree of life, and not the Eitz Tovara, the subject matter that it discusses is very much the Eitz Tovara, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so, okay, so now going back to the text, so now uh, the Ultra Rabbi says that this vestment of the Malchus in Klipas Noga, this is what we know of as the secret of the exile of the Shechina which is whereby what uh, what we uh, 
a citation, a pasuk that we've used to describe the state of being comes from Echa in chapter 8, verse 9, Asher shalata adam ba'adam chule, where one man rules over another man to his detriment. So this is, we've spoken about this in previous episodes, this idea, this state of exile that we're living in right now, where it's a dog-eat-dog world, everything's topsy-turvy, all of this kind of stuff. Spiritually speaking, this is what is happening, that the, the malchus of Atsilas becomes vested in the Klipas Noga. That's the secret of the exile of the Shechina. And the Alter Rabbi goes back to an, another teaching that he brought up before, which comes from the Rea Mahemna, where it talks about how the tree, when the tree of knowledge of good and evil dominate in this world, which is the world we live in now, then we know that the sages who are likened to Shabbos and the festivals, the only thing that they have is those things that they get from the unsanctified ones. So like, remember, we spoke about this idea that like here in the state of exile, Torah scholars are dependent upon people who aren't necessarily the holiest of people, like um, businessmen and things like that. They're, they're dependent on these things because of the state of exile that we're living in now, which means that in this time of the exile of the Shekhinah, this, uh, this Shekhinah, grants life force to the chitzonim, to the, the external forces, which is the klipas noga, which can also be referred to as the Arab rav, the mixed multitude. Like they all suckle from this shechina because they don't have these, these forces that conceal godliness, don't have any life force of their own. So they actually get their nourishment from the shechina. And, um, and then what happens is that through them getting their nourishment from the Shekhinah, then this nourishment that they receive, the Torah scholars in our world receive this, this distilled uh, type of nourishment um, here in exile. So it's, it's like, it's very sad and pathetic if you think about it in that way. Like, it's sort of like that you can picture that if you have like a very holy man who's trapped in a prison and let's say his captors are, uh, are these really evil people. That's sort of like what's happening. And the evil people, how, where do they get their, um, their, substance from that they use to feed their captor, this holy man, they use it because they steal from the king. They steal from the righteous king. That's kind of what's happening to give a kind of visual for that. And so thus, says the Alter Rebbe, the main work of man and the, and the main idea of studying Torah and being involved in mitzvahs is in order to clarify these sparks, as was known to uh, from the teachings of the Arizal. And so thus, now this is coming to the practical point of all of this, the main idea of learning Torah, like the main focus on learning Torah is what is with, we, we uh, engage in something called iun and pilpul halacha. So iun is like really focusing, really concentrating and pilpul, pilpul is this debate. This, that's what it's called. Pilpul halacha is like this back and forth debate, that thing that, you know, you see um, Bahram doing yeshiva where there, you said this, I said that, no, but what about this? What about this? So this whole thing, like this whole back and forth discussion about what's not allowed, what's allowed, what's impure, what's pure, in order to really clarify what they were doing, it's not just like an intellectual discussion. It actually, again, it gives this much deeper appreciation of Talmud study is it's not just like this theoretical intellectual discussion, but they're actually literally clarifying when through, through studying Torah in that way, it, you're literally clarifying the permitted, the permitted and the pure from that which is forbidden and that which is impure through this Iyun and through this Pilpul Halacha, through the faculties, through your faculties of Chochmah, Bina, and Das. 
As is known, so Chochmah, Bina, and Das, again, are the three intellectual faculties. As is known that Oraita mi Chochmah Nafkat. So we've learned about this previously, that the Torah comes from Chochmah, from Hashem's wisdom. And so thus, that means that the only way that the sparks of these sparks of holiness can be elevated, if we're trying to extract these sparks of holiness, since the sparks of holiness this are derived from Chochmah, they can only be elevated with Chochmah. That's why it specifically has to be this intellectual study. That's why the clarification happens through this intellectual process. And so the, so thus, um, so to understand this a little bit deeper, so the altar goes on and he says that the supernal Chochmah of Atsilas uh, becomes vested within the Malchus of Atsilas. That's that's what happens. And that is the secret of the Torah Shabal Because as we've spoken about before, that Torah Shabal Peh comes from Malchus of Atsilas. But the source of that Malchus of Atsilas is in the Chochmah of Atsilas. Um, and that's the secret of, as is explained in, in, the, in the Kabbalah, Abba Yesad Brata. So that... Um, that the father uh, begat or founded the daughter. So meaning the daughter is Malchus and the father is Chochmah. So meaning to say that, again, so even though the source of the oral law is in Malchus of Atzillus, that source of Malchus of Atzillus is in Chochmah of Atzillus. So it really all comes back to Chochmah of Atzillus, which is like the highest place within Atzillus, Hashem's wisdom himself. And that... Malchus of Atzillus then becomes vested within the Malchus of Atzira, as we spoke about, right? When it comes to the Mishnah, it becomes vested within Malchus of Atzira. And this is the secret of the Mishnah, the Mishnahs and the Brightots. The Brightots are uh, another, uh, like a, a kind of alternative Mishnayos, which are not considered to be as as lofty as the Mishnah, but yet they are very much still a part of that section of the oral law that become vested within the Klipas Noga. And all of these are related to the world of Yitzira. And that is all related to the um, aspect of Das that's found within Noga, the aspect of knowledge that's found within Noga. So I know it's very technical, very complex, but the basic idea to, to the takeaway from this is that just like that the source we, we want to understand is that the source of the oral law comes from God's intellect. And thus, when it comes down here into exile and becomes trapped within the trappings of exile, the way to extract it out of there is through specifically um, the intellect as well. And then there's just little brackets here with a kind of um, alternative reading on what is written about the Brita that the um, that there's there's a different understanding there's a different um, interpretation that the Brightos actually become vested in the Klipas Noga that relates to the world of Asiya. So even though the Mishnah corresponds to Yitzira, there's uh, one interpretation, one understanding that the Brita actually relates to the world of Asiya and that that's where the evil within Noga actually begins. So that's just the technical kind of alternative reading of this idea. And all of this is known from the teachings of, of the Arizal. That's that's where the Ultra Rabbi is getting all of this, um, all of these teachings from. So that's the end of the section for today. And we will continue along these lines tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. 
To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.